0: 47, I want you to keep that number in mind as we get in today's Market Call. It's 1 p.m. on the East Coast. I'm Guy Adami from Parts Unknown. You are staring at Elizabeth Young. That, of course, is EY from SoFi and Dan Nathan for today's Market Call. And Dan and Elizabeth, today's Market Call is brought to you by SoFi. Get your money right, all in one app. And of course, Facts at financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. There also are data provider, Florida Panthers just doing work last night, scoring with 4.3 seconds left. I tell you, the Kachuk kid can play. He's a gamer. Those are the types of guys you want on your teams. Gritty, talented guys with great hands. Florida moves on. They'll probably play, Dan, as you know, the Knights of Las Vegas once they make short work of the Dallas Stars. Elizabeth, how are you? I mentioned the number 47, by the way. I think it was 47 because as the clock strikes one, there are 47 companies uh, globally that have market caps of $200 billion or more. If you want to throw in Cisco, which is about 199 and change, that number is 48, I'll round it to 50. 50 companies with market caps of $200 billion, you're saying, guy, you're off the rails again, it's only 103. I mention that because that's the amount of market cap that NVIDIA added to itself over the last I don't know, 16 or so hours. It's quite remarkable. We'll talk about that, but there's a lot of other things to talk about, Dan. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Um, you know, it's interesting when you think about that and the magnitude of that sort of move given how much the stock has already gone, right? And and really, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about the concentration. Liz has her note out on the SoFi blog that we're going to hit uh, in a little bit talking about a lot of these things. And I think it's really important to kind of think about it and you know, where we are right now as we get into kind of midway through the year. We talk about, um, you know, just kind of what's been powering the major you know indices and you look at a move like NVIDIA today. Okay, so it's very near a trillion dollar market cap. And we know that, you know, Apple's 2.7. We know that Microsoft's 2.4. These are trillion people. We know that Google is, you know, 1.6. And then I think uh, the Amazon is 1.2 or something like that. You know, Tesla in late 2021 had gotten above a trillion dollars in market cap. And we all thought that was going to be some amazing feat. And Meta almost got there and NVIDIA almost got there. Well, Nvidia's on its way back there. And, you know, you think this is bullish for the broad market. I actually think up 27%, gaining $200 billion in market cap today on a company that trades at the valuation that it does. And I get it. And you guys can tell I'm fighting it here. And I actually added to, you know, I bought more puts here um, recently today, looking out to July. So good money after bad. But when you look at how low the short interest is here, you think this is bullish? I actually think it's one of the most bearish things I've seen in a long time, Liz.
2: Do you just think it's bearish for NVIDIA or you think it's bearish for the Ooh, broad market? Oh,
1: I, I, it's bullish for NVIDIA. It's bearish for the market. I, I mean, Got like it. in the context of like kind of what's going on here. And we're going to broaden it okay. out because when I look at other parts of the market, we've been talking about it with you on Monday. We talked about it on, yeah. on the tape. I mean, I see a lot of parts of the market that are saying something very different about the economy. And when I look at what NVIDIA is yeah. saying, It doesn't say much about the broad economy, the global economy. It talks about supply-demand dynamics. And, you know, they just guided to $11 billion in sales for the current quarter. Consensus heading into it was seven. That is extraordinary, okay? Like, extraordinary. But let me ask you this. How much of that is double ordering? How much of that we might see go by the wayside, that sort of thing? So, to me, I think – so much enthusiasm in one name right here, dragging up a whole sector, dragging up the market with it today is bearish.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's momentum for sure. And it feels like people are piling on getting into it just because somebody else did. And you yeah. don't want to miss out on what is still possibly to come. But it also makes me wonder, is it? for lack of other things to buy? Is it for lack of other ideas or for lack of other optimism? Because as you said, there are so many signals, not only in the market, but in some of the data that say, "Eh, this is at least late cycle or late cycle at best, right? So then how do we, how do we get through late cycle? Now it can last a long time, but how do you get through late cycle and come back to early cycle? And some of this behavior it just it feels a little FOMO-y. I will say, though, there has been, obviously, a ton of excitement around AI. There are some fundamental reasons for this NVIDIA move, and that's kind of what we had been saying before, maybe for most of this year, that, well, the market's increasing. It's just multiple expansion. There's no fundamental change. Earnings have actually flatlined, if not come down. So it doesn't make sense for the market to be going up this way. Maybe there's some fundamental expectation that growth is going to continue at this clip for NVIDIA, or at least for the semis or for AI. One of the things that I've said over the last couple of weeks is I do think it makes sense to have enthusiasm over AI. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to change a lot of things, but over the next five to 10 years. And my question for a lot of investors that are piling into this, or even just piling into the theme, what's your timeframe for getting gratification on Mm -hmm. that, right? So you see this big move up. Do you feel like you're going to get gratification on that in the sense of, oh, I was right about it by the end of this year. I don't think that's going to happen, right? This is going to take a long time for companies to either get it right or get it wrong, and we find out who the winners are. I don't think we're going to know that in the next six to 12 months.
0: Lots to unravel here. I'll say this. We're looking at NVIDIA chart. For you armchair technicians, and maybe I'm grasping at straws, and I don't know the uh, where that's derived from. I'm sure it has Shakespeare um, tones to it, but I'll say this. We could have the mother of all island reversals in this NVIDIA if something weird were to happen over the weekend. Number one, you look at it, you see that's the first part of the island. The second part, of course, would be if we were to gap island lower at some point early next week. We'll see a lot to go before that happens. I'll say this NVIDIA typically trades about 43 million shares a day. As I'm sitting here, it's already traded about 115.15, 1, probably going to trade 200 million shares or so today. Let's call it five times normal volume. So I don't think it's necessarily shorts covering to Dan's point. I think it's actually sort of Johnny come Lately's getting in. We'll see how that plays out. Intel uh, at a decade effectively. I mean, it's trading 27 bucks. We've traded actually lower over the last month or so. But you look at Intel, a stock that bottomed out around 24. I mean, it's basically at a 10-year low, which is remarkable if you think about it. I actually thought there was a case to be made as a homeland security play with all these things going on. But Dan, there's some other names you want to look at one that starts with a Q and ends in an M that actually might be at an interesting level of support here.
1: Yeah, no doubt. But <clears throat> I, I just want to, from a sentiment standpoint, I want to take you back to the year 2000. Back. And, 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 you know, guy, you were in your fifties then, and I'm sure like for <laughs> you grasping like this technical, technological shift that was going to, you know, was going to change everything, which was the internet back then. And that was, fu- you know, like powered moves um in the broad market, but we saw similar sorts of concentration in big names. Right. And, you know, Look at Qualcomm here. And I was reminded by a good friend of mine, Jim Chinos, who's been on our pods on the tape. Um, He runs uh, Chinos & Co. And, you know, he's made famous by identifying Enron as a short. This was back in that same period. He's done it again and again and again with many names. He's been um, in Tesla for a long time here, Um, you know, and he would tell you that Tesla's been a hard one. Right. Like mm-hmm. for him. OK, um, so it's not like, you know, trying to identify shorts and picking a spot in time. Your point about time horizons on the long side, doing on the short side um, can be a bit higher. harder he mentioned this um and and i remember this i had a front row seat for this i was you know actively trading you know tech stocks in 99 and 2000 look at this qualcomm move okay so this is from the start of 1997 up until its 2000 highs which are about a 100 dollars right here and when you look at that that was a blow off top you can only know that in hindsight but you could also know that like that was just not sustainable when you think about all of the enthusiasm about this move to 2G wireless networks. I went back when we were making these charts and facts and I was looking at some of the news stories from January of 2000 that you could replace NVIDIA And AI and all, I mean, you could, I'm just telling you people, okay, but trying to pick a top in these things is really hard. That's why I do it with options. I define my risk, and it's also one of the reasons why I say good money after bad because I came in here and the puts that I was long into the print today are blown out. They're zeros, okay? Mm -hmm. So I bought new ones. I, you know, rolled them. Down and out, as we say. And that might go to poof too, but that's all I can do here. And again, you could say I'm a gambler. That's fine. A portion of what I do is speculative, okay? Now, let's back this chart out a little longer. It's just kind of interesting when you look at this. Okay, Guy, mm-hmm. to your point, look at the level of where Qualcomm is right now. It is a, not, That's not a log chart, but it fits really nicely here. I mean, it took... I mean, you can look at it. It took two decades to make a new high and then it doubled almost. And now it's given all that back. So when you see something like that, I'm just, we're bringing this up. And Chano's brought this up because he is an amazing
0: student of the markets here, but you know, history doesn't what Liz, but it It
1: often
2: repeat, but it rhymes. Yeah. Look at you. Mm -hmm.
0: Actually, I don't think there's a word that, well, mystery, I guess rhymes with history. And Mm -hmm. you know, we're trying to build a mystery for you, Sarah, McLaughlin fans out there. I'm sure there are many. She actually might be a fan of the on the tape podcast and or market call. but with that said, I think you're right to point it out and listen, the euphoria around Qualcomm and a number of stocks back then it mirrors what we're seeing now with AI. I'm not going to say and I think you would agree. I mean I'm sure this will be transformative. I also will say this where there's opportunity to make money, people and companies will also pile in. And when more and more people pile in those moats that NVIDIA and Qualcomm enjoyed way back in the day and NVIDIA enjoys now, those moats sort of dry up at times. So yes, they have the pole position right now, but a lot of times the person that sits in a pole position doesn't win the race. Uh, Just go back and watch the Kentucky Derby or any Indianapolis 500. And I think it's worth pointing out. I'll also point out the following. If you look under the surface today, Doug Cass pointed this out. But, you know, I've looked all day. I mean, the Russell is actually lower on the day. Obviously, the Dow is what it is. Uh, the VIX is giving a little back, still above 19. The s and is only up 30 or so handles, which I think is interesting. Uh, and we're still basically at this forty-one forty level that we've talked about forever. So nothing's necessarily changed in the broader market. But below the surface, there are still things that are concerning. And I'll throw this in because why not? When you look at some of these major retailers, they have some problems. I mean, Target is not trading well. It's a six month low. We talked about the double top of Walmart. So, I mean, there are a lot of things to be concerned about here, Dan.
1: Yeah, real quickly, Liz, and and I wanna get your take on this because this is actually a good segue into your note um, uh, on the SoFi blog today. I mean, look, when I look at what is working, Microsoft's up three and a half percent. Again, Microsoft's a two and a half trillion dollar market cap company. Google is up two and a half percent. Again, I mean, like when you look at this, this just can't continue this way. You would need the market to broaden out into all those other points that you just made, guy. When you look at crude oil is down three and a half percent today, you know, coal stocks, peabody, we have a chart of that. You know, BTU is getting murdered. Like, like, like there's a lot of stuff that does not speak to you know, what you would expect to be a, an economy that is about to inflect based on this newfound technology we have. And I'm just gonna pull up the SMH chart, the ETF that tracks the semiconductor index. And we've been saying this, our fundamental views on the economy and what we might see are very much at odds at what the technicals are saying. When you look at this SMH chart, it just broke out. It's beautiful. Now, we know there's a couple names. Taiwan Semi's up 11% today in sympathy with the NVIDIA. NVIDIA and Taiwan Semi are dragging this thing up. And I'll just make one point. And I've seen this again and again and again. Okay? Right now, this company, consensus was for $7 billion in sales in the current quarter. They just guided to 11. You tell me how much of that is ordering. Okay, like you just tell me. And so if those orders don't materialize, this stock could be on the precipice of not only filling in your gap guy over the next month or two, but it could be something that, you know, finds its way back below 300. So, again, maybe it's wishful thinking. Liz, talk to me about the constructive nature of a chart like the semis, which some people do see as very early cycle. It's pretty good. I mean, like that's not something yeah. you'd want to fade. But when you look at the biggest component of it, the way it's gone parabolic up 300% since October, that's not something that is like, I want to buy here.
2: No, it, I mean, looking at the chart, it just, even if you don't study technicals, it doesn't look like a great entry point, right? And the moves that we've seen, if you, I mean, even back to that Qualcomm chart, the moves that you see in a stock like that are what I would expect from high beta tech stocks. Right. So, probably not a surprise if that's your expectation. All of these big cap tech stocks that people are calling defensive, they've become the ones that, you know, the economy is different. And now we buy just big cap tech in times of stress, in times of euphoria. We just buy it all the time. I don't think that sentiment can stick around. And when you look at just what we're paying for some of it and the growth that, needs to happen the growth that literally needs to materialize in order to justify these valuations it could happen for yeah. sure but i think there's a big temptation to just watch the stock price of some of these ones that are making big headlines and i'll admit too i missed the tech the entire tech rally this year right i did not see that coming but i don't think a lot of people saw that coming and it doesn't feel good to miss something like that but it doesn't make me change my mind and say Okay, then let's get in now. Let's jump in after the entire wheat field has blown in that direction, and we're all talking about a a handful of star players. One of the things in my note this week, and I'm kind of skipping around here, but one of the charts that I put in my note this week was basically the five largest stocks in the S&P, their weight in the S&P, and then compare that to two entire sectors, financials and industrials. I'm choosing financials and industrials because those are two of the most cyclical sectors that we see in an index, The weight of those two sectors combined, which is 148 stocks total, has fallen below just those top five. Mm -hmm. And the divergence continues to get larger. Now, that doesn't mean that it has to mean revert, doesn't mean that it has to come back and and cross over again. But that divergence between five stocks and 148 stocks in cyclical sectors is really big. And things like that don't last forever. So one of the two lines probably has to change. My gut would say because of all the other signals that we're getting, the cyclicals have to get better probably after a contraction. But the signal they're sending right now is that the economy is not doing all that great.
0: I watch these shows, Dan, when I get home, sometimes it's like entertainment tonight and these things that are on. And they generally speaking, they they sort of make my eyes glaze over. But apparently there's this new phenomenon where skinny jeans are no longer a thing or something, or maybe they're coming back. I'm not I'm not quite one, sure. What does the two? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I saw something you, you, about skinny jeans, but I don't even know what that necessarily means. Are the jeans skinny, or do they make the person that wears them skinny? Or
2: well, I, definitely not the latter. Definitely no. not the latter. It's and like some jeggy. people shouldn't wear. Listen, let's be jeggy. honest.
0: Some people shouldn't wear them. I mean, I'm just going to throw mm-hmm. it out there. I'm just, I'm just saying yeah. now. With okay. that said, Elizabeth, uh, your note is focused on. Not skinny jeans, but what you're calling skinny love, which please educate us all.
2: Well, hold on. You must you must not know the band, Bony Bear. Excuse me? Yes.
0: <laughs> Bony Bear. Is that a name bon- of the band? Bony Bear. Bony Is it French? Anyway,
2: the lead singer is from Wisconsin, uh. a little town called Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Uh-huh. And one of their biggest hits is a song called Skinny Love. Mm. You can look it up later. It came out, I think, in 2006. Anyway, the point of that is linking it to basically the skinny leadership that we have in the S&P. So the number of stocks outperforming if you look at the first chart in my note, we've got the percent of members above their 200-day moving average deteriorating since April, okay? So some of this these signs of we're looking for breath in the market, we're looking for okay if there's been a rally but you want to see other parts of the market participate in it. We're not seeing that happen necessarily under the surface. You continue to see just the big cap names do it. I think probably the most interesting chart in this whole piece. Yes, I'm going to give myself props for this one. The S&P 500 performance, 225 days after a bottom. Okay, let me take a minute to explain this. So the blue bars are basically the experience that we're having right now. This is broken up by market cap quintile. All the way on the right-hand side of the chart are the biggest cap names, left-hand side, smallest cap names. So the blue bars are what's happened since October 12th of 2022, which was the most recent bottom. You can obviously see almost a straight line of small caps underperforming large caps. Obviously, the heavyweights are in charge here and are making up most of that gain. Look at the gray bars. That is from the bottom in 2009, so March 9th, 2009. And then fast forward the exact same amount of time, 225 days later. Look at how spread out the strength is in those market cap quintiles. You've got huge participation from the middle. You've got huge participation from the small end. And in fact, large caps underperformed both mid and small caps in the S&P 500. The point that I'm trying to make here is that when you're looking at what would be considered a durable bull market or the beginning of a durable bull market, and we know with certainty that the market that began after March 9th, 2009 was a durable bull market, that's how it looked. That is not how it looks today. Mm-hmm. So this is what everybody's talking about when they say narrow leadership is risky. It doesn't bode well for durability. It doesn't bode well for sustainability. You do want to see these smaller cap names participate. The one caveat I will make is that the reason that middle bar from 2009 is so high is because that, that was a time when financials were a bigger weight in the index. Mid cap financials did best coming out of that crisis for obvious reasons. The bounce was pretty big. But again, that just goes to show you've got participation across all market caps. That's what I would rather see. And that's what would give me a lot more optimism in this run.
0: Agree with that. And that, again, when you see it visually, it, I think it helps. We can talk about it all we want, but when you see it, it actually makes a lot more sense. And, you know, I think the bull case is going to be to a certain extent, well, this is a great sign because those stocks are now reasonably valued and they can catch up um, and they can sort of now give the next leg higher in the broader market. That's one case. The flip side is they're weak for a reason and it's talking about something else. And this is a good segue here because. One of the questions we have, I think, from 11506 Stevens, which apparently means there are 11505 more of you out there somewhere. Can you guys look at more boring stocks? For example, uh, Verizon and and AT&T, which I'll talk about in a second. But look at Triple M. Now, I don't know this, but I'm willing to bet if we were to pull up a chart of Triple M, we're probably at a decade low or so, at least 10, 8, or 9 years. Now, there you go. So pull this out longer, and you'll see. I mean, Triple M has been an unmitigated disaster. And you have to even go farther than that to sort of see the last time the stock was at these levels. That's telling a story. This is not an insignificant company. I mean, this has been in uh, upper left to lower right for quite some time. So what is that saying about the economy? Is it stock specific? Yeah, maybe. um, But it belies something, I think, larger. AT&T has been a disaster for years. People bought it for the dividend. Um, Guess what? If you've bought it for the dividend, that dividend's come and gone a number of times given the stock performance. I don't see any compelling case to own it here. Maybe you can shoot against those lows we saw, I guess, what is it? I want to say the summer of last year. And Verizon's the same thing. I mean, they're just going nowhere. So, you know, you brought up triple M. I didn't. But again, off the top of my head, I'm thinking it's a decade low. Yeah, it is. And it looks like it wants to go lower, which, Dan, I think speaks to, again, some of the points you've been making about the economy in general.
1: Well, it's interesting also, you know, AT&T is down 5% today. Verizon's down 2.5% and T-Mobile's down 2.5%. The headline is that DISH, which is a, obviously a, you know, cable provider, you know, of the television services is going to partner with Amazon and they're going to offer wireless plans. What does that mean? They're going to undercut the incumbents here, right? And so you're seeing that sort of um, activity in those names because, you know, they have pretty much I don't know what you call it. It's not a duopoly. If you have three, what is it? You know, they, they basically have a stranglehold on other than our main man, Ryan Reynolds um, with his mint mobile here. One of them just bought mint mobile or something like that. But you know, like when you see the knee jerk reaction of a headline like that, because you know, when Amazon moves into your space, they're going to un- undercut you on price. And 25 years ago, you know, the founder, Jeff Bezos of, of Amazon said, your margin's my opportunity. And that's something they live by almost on every market that they kind of enter into. So to me, great for consumers, bad for the stock prices there. Um, Liz, I want to expand on your skinny love here because our main man, Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting, he had a note out today and I thought it was really interesting. He was charting the S&P 500, the SPY, the ETF that tracks it, versus the Invesco S&P 500 equal weight, right? So we know that those top six names or so make up 25% of the weight of this index of 500 stocks but we know that the rsp the Equal s and p etf um you know weights every stock individually look at this over a one year period okay Th- these things were trading in lockstep okay and then all of a sudden we have this you know the large language model this 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 chat gpt comes out late last year it captivates you know just all of you know investors tech companies private public all that sort of stuff look at this kind of bifurcation now if you're looking at the rsp it looks really heavy it looks bad it looks like kind of the way the, 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 the small caps are trading, right? A little bit. And the small caps were leading the way a little bit. Look at it over a five-year period and you see that, you know, yes, there are periods in which the, the mega caps have been leading the way here. But the divergence right now, I think, is important. It speaks to what you were talking about in your note here. And let, so let's just kind of put a bow on this at a time because we could take question after question about why this stock's not performing well, why this sector's not performing well. Again, people, it comes down to 10 freaking stocks in the market. And you could say, Well, that's good enough for me because I buy the S&P or I buy the NASDAQ, you know what I mean? But it does Mm -hmm. pose risk. And I'll go back to what I said about the NVIDIA. I don't see NVIDIA up 27% today, getting $200 billion in market cap. It's bullish for the stock. It is by far the worst thing that could happen to this market, given everything we just talked about.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not not something that makes me comfortable to look at, right? The equal weight underperforming. But even if we do broaden it out to indexes or sectors, I don't care which way you want to cut it, the signals that it sends about, and I know I keep saying this, but they're clear as day to me that it's late cycle, right? If we were early cycle or if we were in the beginning of a new expansion, we don't even have to call it early cycle. If we were in the beginning of a new expansion driven by different things because we completely skirted recession, small caps would be doing better and cyclicals would be doing better. And I realize that tech is a big part of our economy now. It's still it's not the only thing in our economy and the rest of the sectors still need tech in order to operate. So there would be signals in this market that would be saying that the rest of the economy can still grow. And there would be signals that the consumer was actually improving, not deteriorating. And most of the signals are saying that the consumer is also, at the very least, pulling back, right? Retailers are struggling. You've got inventory issues. You've got delinquencies on credit cards pushing past 90 days now. It's not a great setup. The frustrating part and the tough part here is that late cycle can last a really long time it could last a year and a half it maybe it could last two years i mean maybe it'll it'll be the newest thing that late cycle lasted two years but it can last a year and a half and if we say that it really only started last spring because that's when the fed started hiking rates we're not at a year and a half yet so it could just be that we're in this protracted late cycle behavior which also by the way is when large caps tend to outperform also when bonds tend to outperform all of this stuff has happened
0: In February, Dan, of 2020-ish, mid-February, Valentine's Day, let's call it, because we all love Valentine's Day, the IWM, I believe, made an all-time high around 169 or so. Um, We know what happened subsequent when COVID hit. Well, it traded through it late 2020, obviously made an all-time high. I want to say, Dan, if I'm not mistaken, the fall of 21, not coincidentally, when the Fed turned gears but here we are at 174. We're at huge levels of support. So we're effectively testing the prior all-time high. This is a level we've held a number of times since June of last year. If we start to sort of falter in the Russell, which we're on the precipice of doing, uh, you got to be concerned to EY's point. So you know, again, you don't have to necessarily believe us. You can say you guys are just trying, you're grasping at straws again in terms of the bear thesis. But the bear case is all around you. I just It's a question of whether or not you want to take a look at it. And then the other thing is look at crude oil, Dan Nathan, which you've been talking yeah. about, not having a particularly good day today. Um, that's something it should be, I think, concerning in terms of what it means for the economy. And you throw in FXI, which, again, I think it's all part and parcel of what we're talking about. That's through a pretty significant level on the downside. And then, for example, Alibaba below 80 for the first time in a while. So all the signs... Ooh, remember Robert Duvall in Days of Thunder? Ooh, you're scared to get in the car. Spooky to Tom Cruise. Great movie, by the way. Um, As I've said a number of times, I would watch Tom Cruise read the phone book, but that's what's going on here. Back to you, Dan. Well, all right,
1: let's just let's just talk about some of the stuff that's going on outside of you know tech right here. So crude oil is down three and a half percent. You just mentioned the FXI, so that's the large cap um, Chinese uh, ETF made up of some of the biggest you know tech names, but also some industrial, some banks, that sort of thing. The Shanghai Composite, okay, is down six and a half percent from um, what was just a new 52-week high. It's a massive double top. If you can pull up the Shanghai Composite or just pull it up on your own fact set machine, um, at home that it was just making earlier this month. The <laughs> So if you look at the energy complex, you look at some of these resource names that we talked about, you look at the way um China's acting based on some of the activity that we're seeing there about closing some public events, that sort of thing. I mean, I think all of us are gonna have um, you know, PTSD from any sort of closures in China. And you know, we talked about that that Q1 GDP print that people were excited about at four and a half percent. But in the years leading up to the pandemic, I mean, China was printing six and eight, six point eight, six point nine, you know, that sort of thing. So if you don't have China in 2023, you know, you don't have the resource trade. You don't have, um, you know, this energy trade. You don't have a lot of um, industrials, in, in my opinion. And then look at, like, financials. Just look at the XLF. And I get it, okay, Berkshire, like, put it in there. But Berkshire just sold off pretty pre- in the last few days, too, the XLF looks horrible and it acts horrible. And if you want to get geeked up every time you see the KRE, the regional banking index, up five or six percent or something like that on some sort of headline, just look at the chart, people, because it can't get out of its own way. It still looks and acts um, like death. And so you guys may say, "Well, we're picking on all of the stuff that acts really poorly." But I got to tell you, if I'm trying to make a mosaic, a bullish mosaic for the balance of the year and stocks. Here in the US, I need all of those things that we just mentioned here. I just mentioned here to firm up and show some signs of bottoming and some sort of, you know, and, and I don't see that happening. So, which brings me back to if all the concentration and all the enthusiasm in a handful of names and, and they are literally in some sort of tectonic shift in technology that you cannot put your finger on, that's not a great thing to buy into, in my opinion, right here.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, it, I have tried many, many times over the last five months to sit back and say, okay, I'm going to make the bull case. Yep. I'm going to write down what are the points that I could make to buy right here, or at least buy something a little bit higher beta. And I run out after the market is up and the consumer hasn't completely fallen apart yet. There's not a lot else out there aside from, yes, inflation is is coming down. It's gotten lower. And I've said multiple times, if services inflation continues to fall on a, basically in a straight line, I would get more optimistic because that is the part that gives me pause. And that is the part that worries me that the Fed is just going to keep going and going and going until really a lot of things break. But there's not a lot of fundamental reason to get bullish on the economy or on the market here. And it's really difficult to do that in a period where You know that liquidity continues to dry up. You know that it's drying up for businesses and it's drying up for consumers. And you've got basically a a tech enthusiasm that's built on, you could call it a bubble if you want to, but it's something that as competition increases, first of all, we're not going to see that competition for probably five years, get it to a really healthy level. But as competition increases... There's going to be consolidation in that phase, right? And who knows what that's going to look like. So trying to justify a valuation today based on that is really tough. And, you know, this, again, this has been an environment that I think has tested everybody. And it's really tempting to get optimistic and excited when you see a big move in a handful of names. And there's been a lot of that going on. Uh, I think that it's just as dangerous to do that as it is to be overly bearish.
1: Well, to bring it full circle, you know, again, um, I, I remember what it felt like in late 99 and 2000. Everybody knew it was a screaming bubble. You know what I mean? Now, granted, these companies that are rallying right now, I mean, they are very... Very different than Yahoo and Qualcomm and AOL and the foundations of them. But what was really similar, though, is that what they called old uh, old economy stocks had already started to roll over well before the Nasdaq was, you know, kind of turned lower. The Nasdaq had a blow off top. It was reflective in some of the names like I just showed you guys. Um, in the Qualcomm, there was Yahoo, there was Nortel, there was Lucid. I mean, the list went on and on. And so, trying to pick the top is the hard part, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like to me, Mm -hmm. so you know. So, Guy, I'll just say this. We haven't, we've gone 32 minutes here. We haven't even mentioned the debt ceiling. It seems like it's been back and forth here. So, my question to you would be um, now that we've had this move, you know, we're, we still don't have an SP about 4,200. Okay. So, so we have these big names that are rallying pretty hard today, but the SP is up 75 basis points. The NASDAQ's up, you know, 1.8%. What would it mean if it was just a kick the can down the road? I mean, this sets up really bearishly in my opinion, because I'm not sure how much oomph is left, right? If we do have some sort of deal that pushes out the debt ceiling a couple months, or on on uh, on the chance that we don't have an 11th hour deal, what is it set up for if people are already selling a lot of really economically sensitive areas of the market, and now you give further confidence that we will likely be in a recession in 2023, That's really dangerous because if everyone heads for the doors at the same time in the QQQ, which is basically NVIDIA, Microsoft, Google, uh, Amazon and Apple, um, we could have ourselves in for a really nasty summer.
0: Yeah. Well, look, I mean, again, I'm going to paint myself into this corner, but I'll do it um, graciously. Well, the, the lead would have been today that U.S. debt um, was put on credit watch or credit, right? U.S. debt on credit watch was a big story. Um, and I think, but for NVIDIA, we'd be talking about that now. And I think the credit agencies, to your point, are going to try to get ahead of this. If they just do some short-term deal, I don't think the markets will look too favorably upon that. And again, these short-term interest rates moving at levels we haven't seen in a better part of 14 years, that's definitely a bit of a warning sign. So I, you have to be concerned. Now, there was some chatter that apparently they're within $70 billion or so of getting something done. I don't know if that to be the case. That was sort of thrown out in our 1230 uh, fast money calls. We'll see. But doesn't appear like anything's going to get done anytime soon. I will tell you quickly, it appears as though defense stocks might be sort of collateral damage in terms of what's going on because those stocks are getting whacked today if you look at Lockheed Martin or Raytheon. So we'll see. But to your point, I don't think it's particularly bullish, especially given what's going on in the credit markets. HYG unchanged on the day below 74. There are clearly a lot of things to be concerned about here, Dan.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And we haven't even mentioned like consumer uh, or commercial real estate. We had a guest Mm -hmm. on uh, Fast Money the other night. I mean, that just seems like one that everyone's fairly certain. Like there's something, the bubble has popped and, and structurally the business has changed. And now if we have higher for longer or possibly what Jamie Dimon started out the week by saying, Get prepared for higher rates, you know, and the Fed funds level here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something, again, you know, the higher rates go, the worse it is for all these tech stocks. But again, they don't seem to care. And if you remember that in 2021, even before the Fed said they were going to raise, all of this crap started selling off. Right. And it wasn't really until the NASDAQ, you know, the, the big names when it was confirmed, when J-PAL said it in mid-November 2021, that's when they started selling off. So, again, all right, yeah. Liz Young. In Wait, studio. I, got, I got, one you, more oh, thing, got one more thing there was a comment
2: and it just got under my skin Ooh, so I'm going to answer get hot. it oh, somebody I love this. said uh, Liz you should know this the market's already discounting a recession that's econ 101 Ooh. okay let's just do Whoa. some math here the market today if we're talking about the S&P 500 down from its high in January of 2022 it's down what 12 13% that is not discounting a recession we got down 25% during 2022 that is also not discounting a recession A bear market without a recession is usually 20 to 25%. A bear market with a recession is typically beyond 30%. We have not discounted a recession in the stock market. The bond market has discounted a recession, and that's why we continue to be confounded by the signals that the bond market has sent versus what the stock market has sent. The stock market still says, soft landing, very possible, if not probable. The bond market says, I don't know what you're looking at.
0: That's what I'm talking about now. I want to end this on a high note because I don't I think these I don't believe in coincidences Dan I can't spell it I don't believe in them and I know Elizabeth doesn't as well. Are we able to pull up a chart in um the symbol would come out H O G quickly Jacob if you could do that for me just a one day chart. You'll see this stock is doing extraordinarily well and I don't think it's coincidental that Elizabeth is wearing her leather because <laughs> after this show she's getting on the aforementioned Harley Davidson and headed to someplace fun. That's a great look, by the way, uh. for you bikers out there. Um, and we learned about Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Personally, I'm an Eclair fan. Chocolate eclairs, by the way, from Good Humor are the best. That's just me. But your old man went to Eau Claire. So I want to give a shout out to your dad, who I know is watching. And he is a fan of Fast Money. And I do believe that he gets a kick out of you on this show. And I am still, by the way, in nego- negotiations is probably a little hyperbolic. I'm still trying to get you that <laughs> first pitch at um, in Milwaukee for a Brewers game, but we'll talk about that at a later date. But that's it for today, Dan and Elizabeth. I want to thank the audience. Uh, thoughtful comments, crude comments, doesn't necessarily matter. We take them all. I want to thank Elizabeth Young. I want to thank, of course, the great Dan Nathan, sort of spearheading this entire thing, our crack staff behind the glass led by Stephen Rafis, who, by the way, is headed to PLL camp, I believe, tomorrow. Of course, Amanda and Jacob. Uh, SoFi. Thank you, SoFi. Get your money right all in one app, people. And of course, facts at financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow, unless something really odd happens tomorrow, we'll next be back with you on Tuesday, uh, which is the day after Memorial Day. See you later, folks. See you later, babe.